Well, good morning. I want to acknowledge the reality that if this is your first time or maybe the first couple times, the little break that we have between worship and, and our, our preaching slot can be a little awkward, um, but I love it. It's intentional, one, to take an offering, two, to get some donuts or coffee. We have amazing coffee. And three, to, again, help you not just sit and listen, but to form relationships. So take advantage of those times have conversation, get to know someone, move and sit someplace that you don't normally sit so that you can meet new people and, and say hello. Just take advantage of that. I know it can be a little awkward if, if you're new and you're visiting, but just embrace it. Just embrace it and move into it. So that's my spiel about about our little, I don't know, our little break, the little break that we have because you're going to need a break because then you have to listen to me, right? So everybody just needs to get the coffee and get charged up and get going. So I mentioned during our LifeWise update, <clears throat> that my wife and I, about six months ago, we did this marriage journal thing that encourages us to come up with like a, a mission and a goal, right? If you never have a target, if you never take aim, then you're guaranteed to miss it always. So we wanted to get more intentional about making disciples out of our children. And one of the goals that we put in place is I want to try every night to read one chapter of the Bible with my kids before they go to bed. We only do one chapter. More than that's too much. Honestly, one chapter's too much some nights. We don't do it every night. We've been doing it for about six months, and we're only through Exodus. So I even, I skipped a little bit. Don't tell, don't tell the big man, right? There's a couple, there's a couple really hairy passages that I'm like, this is just not appropriate, or it's just a bunch of laws. So we take some liberty. Anyways, we're reading a chapter every other night, every couple nights, and we're going through Exodus. So we read Exodus, and Clark, my, my, my big man, he has, he's on to me. He's my oldest. He knows that if he asks enough questions after I read the, the, the Bible that I'll let him stay up later. So part of it, I think he's curious, but the other part of it, I think he knows that he can stay up later. So we have this discussion about Aaron and how he tells lie and how he was a coward because he lived in fear of man rather than trusting God and this whole thing and we kind of wrap that up and I'm moving to go out the door and turn off the light and that's always when he fires off a, a doozy right right when I'm going to turn the light off and he says dad wait 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 so I was thinking how is it that God doesn't have a beginning how is it that he was never been born you know like light and easy bedtime talk that you typically have with your kids right? And so I did what any good Christian parent would do. I just turned the light off and said, go to sleep, right? We're not talking about that. <laughs> Actually, no, I said, Clark, that's a really good question. It's a really good question. And to be honest with you, buddy, I don't have a good answer. Doesn't that just blow your mind to think about God has always existed. He's never had a beginning. He's just always has been. I mean, think about that. Really try, really try and think about it. It hurts your brain. It's, it's mind-boggling. We cannot wrap our head around it. And so I just leaned into that truth, the mystery of God. I said, Clark, there are some things about God that are just super mysterious. They're just hard to wrap our brain around. And that's hard, but we can still trust God. We don't have to know everything about him to trust him. I said, take, for example, this light switch, okay? Take, for example, this light switch. I said, buddy, do you know how electricity works? Do you understand electrons and light? How when you push this button, electricity and electrons fire and then light travels as both a particle and a wave, both. Scientists have no idea how to explain that, but they can observe it. It's fact. Light exists as a particle and a wave. That's, that's the extent of what I know about it. I read it online. That's Wikipedia. That's all I got, right? I don't understand it. So I asked him, I said, when, when you... 
when you push this button, flip this switch, do you have to understand all of everything about how it works to trust that it's going to work? Of course not. Of course not. I said, bud, God is the same way. God is the same way. He's huge and mysterious, and you will never be able to wrap your head around all of him, but you can know enough about him to trust him and know that he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. I wanted you to listen in on that conversation this morning because the two topics that we are going to discuss over the next two weeks, we, we will struggle if we try and reconcile both of them. They are mysterious. We're going to talk about, we're, we're magnifying God most high, right? None greater, magnifying God most high. We're talking about different characteristics of God throughout this summer. The one characteristic we're gonna discuss today and really focus in on and magnify is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God simply means that God has the power and authority to accomplish his will. He's the king. He's in charge. What he says goes. He's unshakable. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whoever he wants, however he wants. He's in charge. And everything that happens, happens because he intends it. Everything goes according to his plan. He's over it all. He's the king. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Next week, we're going to talk about God's justice and how he's a judge. And if you're thinking, if you're, if you're really being thoughtful this morning as you track, there is going to be an apparent contradiction that arises from God's sovereignty. If he is in control of everything, including our choices, how is it that he can be a good and righteous judge who judges us for the choices that we freely make? Do you see the, the apparent contradiction? Those are hard things to reconcile. And here's what I'm not going to do during the next two weeks. I'm not going to try and reconcile them. The Bible tells us that both are true. That God is sovereign, that he's king, that he's over everything, that he controls everything, which we're going to just unpack in depth this morning from Psalm 2. And that he's a righteous judge who holds us personally responsible for the free decisions that you and I make. We're not puppets. I don't know how to reconcile those, and I'm not, going, I'm not going to try. Because if we try, the problem is that we end, up, we end up lessening one or the other. Either God's not in complete control or we don't have free choice, but the Bible tells us that both are true. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning is exactly what I asked Clark to do. Trust, trust. In the same way that you can trust your light switch without knowing all of everything about physics and quantum mechanics and lights and particles and waves and all of that, you can trust it and know enough about it. I'm going to simply ask you to stand in wonder at the God who is so incredibly big that he controls everything down to if a dice is rolled or a sparrow falls in the woods he knows how many hairs are on your head. Think about that for a second, right? I'm going to hit on the ladies here because I'm married to a beautiful lady whose hair just constantly seems to fall out and is always everywhere, right? Right? <laughs> She'll be mad about it. Mine does too. Hers is just more notable, notable, but it's long. God knows. He doesn't just know like one time how many hairs are in your head. He knows at all times how many hairs are in your head in every single person on the face of the planet. That's how big and in control and sovereign he is. So I want you to sit in awe of that this morning and just 
rest in that grandeur. Don't try and understand it. You can't. People, have, theologians have been debating, does God choose us? Do we choose him? What's, what is it, right? And every time they say anything other than one or the other, it's both. They run into problems. So don't try to understand it. Just sit in awe and wonder of it this morning and worship the God who deserves to be king. Friends, it should not surprise us. It should not surprise us that there are things that are mysterious about God. He tells us as much. In Isaiah 55, 8, he says that my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, right? He tells us that. So we should expect when we come to him that there would be things about him that are beyond our comprehension. So don't be surprised by that. And in fact, we should, we should actually be thankful for this. We should be thankful that God is bigger than our minds can wrap around if God could fit into our brains, then he would not be a God worthy of worship. He wouldn't. He would be a God in our image, and therefore he would be an imaginary God, and a God that is no help for the troubles that you and I face. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at solving some of the bigger problems in my life or in our world. I don't want a God in my image. On my best day, I'm still a piece of work. I don't want a God that's like me. I don't want a God that's like me. I want a God that's bigger than me, and you should want that too. You should want that too. Thankfully, he is. And so this morning, all I want to do, I want to expand your view of who God is. I do not want you to have a small God because the God of the Bible is not small. He is vast beyond measure. And we will see that together as we look at Psalm 2. So we'll, we'll read Psalm 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. It'll be on the screen as well. And I want you to know that I'm going to point out three things from Psalm 2. First, we're going to point out the rebellious attitude against the sovereignty of God. Secondly, we're going to look at the unshakable sovereignty of God. And then lastly, we'll look at our reverent response to the sovereignty of God. So firstly, firstly, from Psalm 2, the rebellious attitude against the sovereignty of God. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 2 show us humanity's natural bent towards power and authority. And it is that of a little child right? You have to teach your child to not like the word no, or I said that wrong. Do they like the word no? Of course they don't, right? That's because we come out sinful. We come out broken. We come out with a bent against power and authority. We don't want a sovereign over us. We want to be our own sovereign. That's our attitude. We rebel against God's sovereignty. Verse, verse one of Psalm two says this, why are the nations so angry? They're angry. Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against together against the Lord and his anointed one. Here's what they say. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery to God. Now, we could talk about our culture and all of the craziness that's going on in it. But I don't want to do that this morning. I could harp on and on about, like, look at the culture, and look at how they're saying they're so angry, and they're planning and plotting against the Lord, and look at all the ways they're doing this, and, and look at how they're saying, oh, we don't want to be slavery to God, and we don't want to be slavery to what the Bible says. We don't want to be a slave to, to gender norms and, and to all this, that, and the other thing, and the politics and everything. We don't want any of that. We could talk all about them, but I don't want to do that with you this morning, and here's why. Because the Bible is not meant to be read as a set of binoculars where we are looking out at other people. The Bible is meant to be read as a mirror. As a mirror that we hold up before our face. 
and we view the reflection that it shows us of who we are. So I don't, I don't want to talk about how the nations say, let us break the slavery from God. I want you to think long and hard this morning about when you're confronted with the absolute and ultimate power and authority and control of the sovereign God of the universe, what is the cry of your heart? What is the cry of your heart? How is it that you say to God, I will break my chains, I will not be a slave to you, I will not submit, I am my own man, I am my own woman, I will do what I want with my marriage, I will do what I want with my career, I will do what I want with how I organize my time and my calendar, I will do what I want with my kids, I will do what I want with my money. And if you're here this morning, you might clean it up a little bit, you might ask God, you might say, hey God, I know you're big and powerful, if you could bless my agenda, that'd be great. If not, I'm going to be really ticked off at you, but I'm not going to let you set the agenda for my life. You will not tell me what to do. No, the cry of my heart to your sovereignty and control is how can I break free from you and be my own master? Folks, the problem with our world today, the problem with our country, it's not them. It's not them. It's you and it's me. And it's our heart's sinful bent against the sovereignty of God. At our core, we are rebels. We are rebels. If you're here this morning, you're probably a little more sneaky or subtle in your rebellion. You might not think you're a rebel, (laughs) but you are, and so am I. We are really, really good at justifying, at explaining away at picking and choosing the people that we compare ourselves to, right? We pick the people that are really, really not doing good, and we think, well, compared to them, I'm actually pretty great. We justify, we plot, and we plan, and we explain away all in an attempt to plot and plan to free ourselves from slavery to God. I don't know how you do it, but you do, and so do I. And we need to repent of that rebellion this morning. Moving on in the psalm, that's, that's our attitude. That's our gut attitude. And you might be further along in Jesus where you might say, you know, that was my attitude, but God is working in me, and I, I really want to be, be a bondservant. I want to be a willing slave to God because I know he's great. That's awesome. But ima- there, I imagine there's still times in your life where, where it creeps up, and, and that rebellious spirit comes along, and you have to turn from it. If we move on into Psalm 2, I want you to hear... What, Lord, what the Lord thinks of our rebellion. I want to I put it in its place a little bit this morning and show you how silly it is because of how sovereign our God is. Here's what, here's what the Lord says to all of those kings and powerful people that think they're, they got these plans and they're going to do something to thwart, thwart, to God, thwart God. Verse 4, he says, but the, Lord, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have, placed on, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I own them, he says. The whole earth is your possession because it's my prerogative to give the earth to whoever I choose. 
And here's what he says. After I've established you as the ultimate king, here's what you can do with everyone and everything under your power and authority. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Church God laughs at our rebellion. He scoffs at our attempts and the attempts of the forces of darkness to fight against his plan and his purposes. Why? Because he is sovereign. Because he is in control. Because he puts kings in place and he removes them. He puts presidents in place and he removes them. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whoever he wants. However he wants. When he makes a decree, when he speaks, after he speaks whatever he spoke, immediately gets, gets put into place. Starts flowing right, as, right after you said it's done, right? Like we just sang. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Here's what this tells me. God's sovereignty is unshakable. It's unshakable. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever thwart God's plan. No nuclear weapons, no politics, no economics, no plotting and scheming, no demonic power. Nothing can thwart the plan of our God. He is sovereign over everything. I read a sermon this week from John Piper, and I don't normally do this, but I couldn't say it any better than him. And so I'm going to quote at length. I'll, I'll link it on the site so no one accuses me of plagiarism here. He just says it so well, expanding our view of the sovereignty of God. He says, there, here's, here's what it means for God to be sovereign. He says, God is sovereign over what appears to be the most random acts in the world. He points us to Proverbs 6 or 16. He says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In modern language, we would say, the dices are rolled on the table and every play is decided by God. This means there are no events so small that he does not rule for his purposes. And Jesus, Jesus affirms Proverbs 16, um, 33 in Matthew. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father knowing. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Piper says, every roll of the dice in Las Vegas, every tiny bird that falls dead in a thousand forests, all of this God is aware of and it happens at his command. From worms in the ground to stars in the galaxies, God governs the natural world. If you were to read through the book of Jonah, you would discover that God commands a fish to swallow. He commands a plant to grow. He commands a worm to eat that plant. And far above the life of worms, we're told in Isaiah that the stars take their place and are held in place at the command and word of our sovereign king. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who made these flaming balls of gas that are seemingly infinite across our sky. He who calls them out, calls the host out by number, calling them all by name. He has a name for every one of them by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. How much more than the natural events of this world from the weather to disasters to disease to disability, to death. Our Lord is sovereign over all of it. Psalm 147, he sends his orders to the world. How swiftly his word flies. He sends the snow like white wool. He scatters frost upon the ground like ashes. He hurls hail like stones. Who can stand against his freezing cold? Ain't Jack Frost, it's the Lord of heaven. 
his freezing cold. Then at his command, it all melts away. He sends his winds and then it thaws. Job knows the reality. Job speaks of the sovereignty of God. God loads the clouds with his moisture and they flash with lightning. The clouds churn about at his direction. They do whatever he commands throughout the earth. He makes these things happen either to punish people or to show his unfailing love. Piper continues. He says, Snow and rain and cold and heat and wind are all the work of God. And because God is sovereign over these things, when Jesus finds himself in the midst of a raging storm, all he has to do is but speak these simple words, be still, peace, be still. And Mark records, and the wind ceased and there was great calm. Church, there is no wind, there is no storm, there is no hurricane, typhoon, cyclone, monsoon. There is no tornado, over which Jesus cannot speak, peace, be still, and it won't listen. That means if it blows, it blows at his command because he he intends for it to blow. This has sobering ramifications for us. Amos 3.6 Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? And what about the sufferings of this life? He tells Moses in Exodus 4, The Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Peter speaks to the saints who suffer in Asia Minor. First Peter, he says, Let those who suffer according to God's will, his sovereign will, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Friend, whether we suffer from disability or from the evil of others, God is the one who ultimately decides and presides over everything. Everything passes through his hand, whether we live or whether we die. Deuteronomy 32 tells us there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver you out of my hand. James writes to us in James 4 and tells us we would be wise to live in the reality of this sovereign God. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if it's his plan, if it's his sovereign will, we will live and do this or that. Job lived in this reality. You should read Job sometime sobering book. Here's the conclusion he comes to, living under the sovereignty of God. Job 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the sovereign God most high. The roll of the dice, the fall of the bird, 
The crawl of the worm, the movement of stars, the falling of snow, the blowing of wind, the loss of sight, the suffering of saints, the death of all these things are under the sovereign control, rule, and reign, power, purpose, and authority of our God and King from the smallest thing to the greatest. Friend, as you hear these things, you may you may want to object. You may want to say, how in the world can, if God is that powerful and in control, how can he be good? If he can speak and stop disasters and prevent suffering, then why doesn't he? I will not trust the sovereignty of this God. Before you can say that, I realize, I realize it's offensive, right? Because it, it makes us grapple with the reality that we're not all that, that the world doesn't revolve around me, that I am insignificant, and like an animal, an ant, before the grandeur of this God. I understand how offensive that is. But before you dismiss it, let me turn your attention to the gospel. Again, I'm not going to explain how it works. I just want you to see the goodness of God in his sovereignty. When the nations came to do their absolute worst, the worst event that could ever be dreamed up in the history of humanity. Compare it to the Holocaust, compare it to all the genocides that have ever existed, this is worse. The worst thing that evil men and women conspired to do, namely, crucify God himself in flesh. Here's what Acts tells us about it. Truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the kings, the nations, the Gentiles, the people of Israel. You planned, you orchestrated, you put it all into play to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. This means, church, the worst sin that ever happened was in God's plan. It was purposed, predestined, foreordained that by that sin, Sin itself would be conquered. Death itself would be swallowed up so that for all who would trust in the work of Jesus, you might be saved. Folks, I know how hard it is to wrap your minds around this. But let me, let me ask you to, to relate to the disciples. Imagine you're the disciples. You walked with Jesus you, you thought you knew the plan. God's going to establish a king. He's going to free us from the Romans. He's going to bring peace and prosperity through his rule and reign on this earth. It's going to be amazing. He's doing miracles. He's preaching. It's growing. And then he gets murdered. And for three days, they are mourning at his crucifixion, running from fear, hiding out in their parents' basement, the upper room, questioning the sovereignty of God. And then, you know the story. Three days later, Jesus rose. He rose. Sunday came. And God knew always Sunday was coming. It was always coming. You say, I don't, I don't know how it works. How can he use something so vile to bring about something so good? How can he allow so much suffering on the cross and the wrath of God to be poured out? Or not? I don't know how it works but I know you can trust his goodness because I look at the crucifixion and then I look at the resurrection and I say, God, you are so much bigger than me. You are so much better. How could I not trust you? I don't, I don't know how to make sense of it. I can't make sense of it all. 
but I don't have to. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's in control. You can trust him. You don't have to make sense of it. So what's our response? What's our response to all this? Verse 10. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But, this is a big but, what joy for all who take refuge in him. Loved ones, don't rebel against the sovereign king. Love him. Run to him. Embrace him. Worship him. Praise him. Adore him. You may not understand it all. I don't either. But you can, comfort, you can trust him and you can be comforted by his sovereignty. Because God is sovereign, because he never slumbers or sleeps, you and I can. We can go to bed at night because God's got this. Because God is sovereign, because nothing escapes his control or command, we can live comforted knowing that whatever we're experiencing has passed through his hands. And that whatever we're experiencing, however hard it is, under the sovereign direction and control of God, it is not meaningless. It is producing something good and great and glorious in us and through us. Because God is sovereign all things, even the worst thing in the history of the world, the crucifixion of his one and only son, all things will work together for the good of those who have been called according to his purposes. Because God is sovereign, no problem you face is too big or too small. Or too small. He knows how many hairs are in your head at all times. Nothing is beyond his control and his sovereignty. Because God is sovereign, Psalm 145 is true. I went on a family trip last week. It wasn't a vacation. It was a family trip. They're different. Vacations are, <laughs> vacations are when my wife and I go and we rest. Family trips are when we take our kids and we have a ton of fun and we come home and we need a vacation from our family trip. I was worn out this last week and I came across one, Psalm 145 and I took so much comfort from it. And so here's the application for you today. Know and trust in Psalm 145 because God is sovereign. It's true. And you can meditate it on this week. Verses 13 through 20, here's what they say. For your kingdom, O God, is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. And this is the one that, that hit me. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all who look to him in hope, or sorry, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. You give me what I need when I need it because you're sovereign. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. You know what I thirst for, God. You promise to satisfy that thirst. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. Even when it doesn't feel good or righteous, it is because he's sovereign and he's filled with kindness 
The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. Why? Because it's within his power to do so. He hears their cries for help and he rescues them. Again, because it's within his power and will and authority to do so. The Lord protects all who come to him and love him. But, He destroys the wicked. Because God is sovereign, that is truth. Truth you can build your life on and you can find rest in. May you come to know and love the sovereign God most high. Don't rebel against him. He chuckles at our rebellion. His arms are open. Come into them and live under his rule and reign. It's good. It's good. There's none greater, church. There's none greater than our God most high. He deserves your love and your worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a difficult concept. I realize what I said this morning, and I said it because your word says it. You're sovereign over not just the weather and disasters, but disease and death and all of it. Everything that exists, including Satan and sin, in some way, in some manner, has passed through your hands. You reign over it. You control it. (laughs) I don't know how to make sense of that, Lord. That's offensive to me in a lot of ways. But Lord God, I am not the king. It is not within my power or my authority to question you as a creature. Thank you, God, that you're not just all-powerful and almighty and all in control. Thank you that you've shown us how good you are in Jesus and showing us that, that you're willing to come and suffer for us insignificant creatures because you love us. So don't let us get lost in trying to sort out how it works. <laughs> Allow us to stand and wonder at your power and your majesty, and your vastness, and within all of that, you still manage to keep track of the number of hairs on our head. I pray that that would overwhelm our hearts, that would cultivate an awe in our hearts, that would lead us not to run from you, but to run to you, knowing that as we run to you, we can find refuge, and strength, and joy for whatever you allow for us to experience in this life, knowing that one day, through your perfect plan, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will establish your kingdom. There will be no more death. There will be no more dying. There will be no more sin. And it will all have been worth it. Help us trust you, Lord. We need help in this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.